Welcome to Just Go Grind. Today we have a special episode from the Vitalize Podcast, our show at Vitalize Venture Capital. You can find all episodes of the Vitalize Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or go to thevitalizepodcast.com. Let's get to it. On today's episode, we have Peter and Ziggy, the co-founders of Lectrium, which allows your home to be EV ready. They take care of your home charger installation. You can fill out the form, get a fair price, and book your installation today. We talk about the origin story of this company, how they decided to work together, what they've done to grow Lectrium since then, and much, much more. Let's dive in. Peter and Ziggy, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's awesome to be here. Hi. Appreciate the time. You guys, obviously, we, we love Lectrium at Vitalize, why you invested as well. Uh, for people who aren't familiar, though, with Lectrium, we're going to get into a lot of different details of this, but what is Lectrium for the people who haven't heard of this company before? Yeah, so Lectrium makes every home in the U.S. EV ready. Uh, we're installing level two chargers for people at their home so they can wake up every morning and their electric vehicle can have a full battery. With this company, I always love hearing in the beginning, you know where companies are at now and they raise money and they've gotten customers and all that. But take me back to even before all of that, why start this company? What's the founding story behind Lectrium? I'd love to hear. Yeah, it's an interesting story. Uh, it all started in Oslo. Norway, the capital of electric vehicles. I was a founder before Lectium for another startup, and I was looking for an investment and the right co-founder because building a company alone was so tough. So I looked for you know the best location to build an electric vehicle startup. And in the world, that's Norway, the country where uh, EV transition already happened. 95% of new cars sold in, in Norway are electric. That's it. <laughs> so, you know, I packed my bags and uh, I went to Antler uh, program in, in, in Norway for 10 weeks to build something. They asked me, you know, to leave all the stuff behind, come with an uh, open mind and, and uh, try to find a co-founder. And this is where I met Peter. Yeah, my journey to Antler was a little bit different. So I, I <laughs> quit my job in investment banking. Um, you know, a month before the program started, I, you know, moved from New York City to Oslo, Norway, and tried to find Airbnbs to live in. And yeah, after, you know, it's a 10 week program. And after week five, Ziggy and I shook hands, sat down and agreed to work together. And uh, we had five weeks to build a business case, get an investment. Um, and we did that. So uh, we can tell a few more stories from our time at Antler, because I think uh, it was really foundational for Electrium's, you know, current success. Yeah, I definitely have a couple questions on that. Okay, so first off, Ziggy, why Antler? Why this program? Why did you decide it? Because other founders are listening, they see accelerators, are like, I don't know, which accelerator to join? Should I join an accelerator? Just take me real quickly through why you went through Antler, why you decided to even do the program in the first place. Sure. Um, so first of all, uh, it, it all started several years ago. Uh, I was working my uh, business consultancy job and some guy, uh, just wrote me a LinkedIn message. I heard you on the radio talking about innovations. I'm applying to this program. Maybe you wanna, you know, uh, have a call and tell me a little bit about blockchain, about clean tech, about electric vehicles, everything. And uh, we had this call, and I, I was, you know, telling what's on my mind. I'm telling all the business ideas that I would do if I, you know, quit my job and all that. <laughs> and then uh, after COVID, you know, some time passed, and I remembered that hey. Uh, so how is Polis doing? And it's uh, and I found out that he got investment. So we jumped on another call and we had a conversation. And he said, "Hey, this is a program where 
you as a, a single entrepreneur, domain expert or a, a tech expert, go there for 10 weeks. And in 10 weeks, you try various business models. You try to build companies in 24 hours, the sprints in different teams and uh they put you in different teams then you 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 know uh kind of assemble a team yourself and try this that that and and then uh the the goal is to find a person to work together to build a business model and uh there was this you know saturday evening when we looked around at this co-working space and there was only two of us and peter said hey you know uh every 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 uh hour past the normal working hours there's only you and me in the in the room, we should work together. <laughs> I think this is how you have it. Hold on, with that. So you guys are the only ones up. You're like grinding away. You're like, okay, we're definitely working on trying to get something together. How did you decide though that like you two are going to be the ones then to build this? Because it's one thing to be like, all right, we both work hard, great. But there's also like, this is going to be like a decade maybe together. This could be 15 years together. Like, just take me through more of that thinking of like. Because I like to have you both co-founders on the podcast because then I get to ask and see what they both kind of think about it. So just take me through uh, what you both were thinking. We'll start with Peter, uh, what you were thinking in terms of working with Ziggy. Yeah, well, there was, you know, multiple aspects to it. There was the personal aspect to it, like our personal connection, then like the business yeah. aspect to it. So on a personal level, um, you know, we went to dinner together a bunch of times. We went, you know, out together in Oslo once or twice um, and we you know, had this environment with 45 other people and you kind of see who you gravitate towards and who you connect with and whose stories you like to hear and whose, you know, past experiences you, re you resonate with. So I played basketball in college. Um, I am a huge basketball fan. Uh, Ziggy, <laughs> Who's your team? Hold on. Who's your team? Cle Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay. Okay. And, uh, you know, we like the Cleveland Cavaliers at Lectrium too. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, anyways, Lithuania is a great basketball country. So Ziggy and I bonded over that. We also bonded over our shared interest of art. We actually went to uh, the Monk Museum in Oslo on opening day, the day of our final pitch at Antler. Um, you know, other teams were preparing for their final pitch. And instead, Ziggy and I, you know, went to a museum for two hours and like calmed down and looked at crazy Edward Monk art. So, you know, we connected on a personal level. And then on a business level, Ziggy demonstrated his expertise in electric vehicles multiple times during the program. He gave a couple presentations and I was super interested in uh, the EV and mobility space. So I kind of asked him a ton of questions and he, you know, had a lot of great answers. And um, <laughs> we decided to sit down together and, uh, you know, brainstorm what part of electric vehicles we wanted to try to work on together. So uh, it was kind of two aspects in my mind. Okay, that's that's Peter's perspective. Ziggy, what about you uh, on the other side yeah. working with, with Peter? Yeah, so so the the one thing is what uh, was that uh, we both were working hard and uh, we were not working only these normal business hours. That that was the one thing. Also, you know, it's not so common to find a person of your age that has this uh, massive interest in art and then finding the same artist. That was cool. And then the basketball. You know, in Lithuania, everybody. You know, we, we have only one sport and that's basketball. Yeah. So it was like easy to, to, you know, to have these conversations. And then even, even these crazy stories of, uh, you know, one of us sneaked in uh, to Cannes, uh, uh, this movie <laughs> festival, and another has a story of uh, having a gala, gala dinner with Prince of Nigeria and all of that. So, you know, we had these crazy stories that we enjoyed listening and, and, uh, and supporting each other. And then, uh, yeah, so that, 
really liked. And, uh, you know, the drive. And, uh, yeah, you know, from one side, Peter says that uh, I, I, I have these, you know, opinions about electric vehicles. But from the other side, uh, Peter's a hustler. Like, his his phone is just burning all the time. And, and then uh, that inspires me as well. That pushes me to, to action because he's great on that. So I think we also help each other to, to be better. So you're like halfway in this program. You decide to work together. You know electric vehicles and some EV in some capacity is what you're going to work on. The rest of the program then, you said maybe have half of that left. What did you do in that rest of the program by the time you finish at least? Like what kind of stuff did you get to in terms of what lecture, you know, if it was even called that at that point, uh, what, what was that at that stage in the company? Uh, yeah, I can I can tell you one thing. Uh, for first, uh, we spent probably five or seven days just figuring out the problem and the, and, and the, the industry. We had a couple of ideas. We're thinking, should we do this? Should we do that? And there was one thing that, uh, oh my God, Christian will hear it and he'll be mad at me. Uh, he said, hey, uh, so we brought him, uh, one of the mentors brought him a slide with uh, 12 different industries kind of verticals in electric vehicle industry there's like the ocpp platforms then there is this fleet management and then there's like public charging and then batteries and all of that and then you know we showed it to them to him and said well we are thinking about this or that and he said hey do residential charging you know do chargers for home and i said I, I, I didn't say anything to him and say okay uh then we had this conversation with peter or say Obviously, uh, they are, you know, thinking who they want to invest in and they want coachable teams and they want. Uh, so if, if they want a coachable team, let's do let's show them that we can listen and let's do residential charging, which I am, you know, as a domain expert, I believe that's. Uh, can I say <laughs> you can <laughs> you can that's edit. a bad idea? <laughs> That's a bad idea. Um, that's a. Uh, this is like very simple. It's like it's yeah. very not in innovative thing. That's sure. a dryer's outlet with a Wi-Fi that you, you know, uh, put on the wall. That's nothing innovative. Let's okay. Uh, let's agree on this. Let's take this idea. Uh, work on it like really hard for two days. Uh, collect all the possible feedback from anyone in the industry. And, and show them that's the bad idea. So we can fail fast, get points for, you know, showing that we're not only coachable, <laughs> but we also know execute. how to fail fast. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, 12 or 14 hours later, we sat down and we looked into results and we said, oh my God, that's the gold mine. Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> You're saying that's the gold mine. Explain why you knew that that was the gold mine. I can jump in. There are yeah. a few reasons. Um, one is we, we did a lot of research and, 85% of EV charging happens at home. Uh, every house in Norway has a level two EV charger in it. And the US market for level two EV charging at home was and still is super undeveloped, uh, kind of in all aspects in terms of standardization of installation, in terms of what hardware people use and in what software people use. So we kind of, you know, just did this initial batch of research and we're kind of comparing the world's most developed market to the United States. And we start realizing, oh my God, like, no one in the United States even knows that people will need level two chargers at their homes. Like yeah. people, like no one even knows that. So, uh, you know, we, we, we made calls to uh, a whole variety of stakeholders in, the, in that kind of value equation. And uh, we got traction kind of right away, which was fun. And then we kind of iterated business models around that for the next three or four weeks. 
you know, at, at first we were thinking about, you know, doing financing for, uh, you know, home charger installations. Then we were thinking about uh, hardware, then software. Then we, you know, agreed to do installation kind of like as a platform, like these solar platforms and, uh, you know, layer on additional uh, products around that. Okay. One thing you said, going back to that, you said you make calls to different stakeholders. Just take me through that process because I know people in customer discovery and stuff, they're, they're thinking yeah. about like, how do I do that? How do I go about it? Like, who do I reach out to? How do I reach out to them? Just take me through a little bit of that process. Yeah. So uh, Ziggy and I visited the car dealerships in Norway and kind of understood what happens when someone buys an electric vehicle. Then we called, you know, salespeople at car dealerships in the United States and said, hey, I want to buy an electric vehicle. What happens? And no one knew the answer. Like, <laughs> They couldn't sell you. They couldn't sell you a charger, and they couldn't recommend a certified installer. And they didn't even know, you know, that much about level two charging. I'm I'm kind of generalizing this, but um, that was the general uh, the general feedback. And then you know we also talked to EV drivers in Norway, a few EV drivers in the United States. Asked them, hey, how did you get your level two charger installed for you know like early Tesla people? And they're like, oh my god, it was kind of a nightmare. so, you know, we, we called EV drivers, we called dealerships, we called electricians and asked them, you know, what kind of volume of these EV charger installations are you getting? Uh, and then we, you know, researched Amazon to see what kind of chargers are out there. And, uh, <laughs> of course, as one does. Yeah, we read some customer reviews from, uh, you know, Angie's List and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, kind of pieced it all together into a, a nice story. From that then, so people who are listening, okay, I get it. They did the research, <laughs> kind of validate this idea a little bit. Obviously, it's a broken uh, market of sorts in the U.S. or just not even known about it uh, from that pr- perspective. And tell me through what you decided to build slash pro- product development, what your, this product is in terms of what it needed to be based on what you were seeing in this market, what you had had the research from, whatever. Like, tell me through just the product side of it and what this was going to be. Well, I think that I think that the, another important uh, what mattered at that time is that uh every week we had these kind of uh conversations with with mentors the, the the ones that you know are going to make a decision to invest or not at, at the end of the program and after every meeting we had this feedback session where we would start with this okay we have seven days to make wow effect we have seven days to work so hard so that we bring a new deck and then they say wow it's you know you guys you know did that in one week so that was you know and, and then uh so that was one and another driver uh, to, to build the viable business model was we knew it. If we can make a hundred bucks in four weeks, they are, they are going to invest in us. Yeah? <laughs> if you can find the simple, simplest way to, you know, to sell and, and to show that people are willing to pay for your service, that's, you know, <laughs> that's what you want to wanna have. And we worked hard. We didn't, we didn't make a hundred bucks uh, uh, while in program. But uh, pretty early uh, after we, you know we we uh, got the investment, we realized that instead of hiring this expensive uh, tech firm, whatever, we can build a lot of stuff with no code solutions. So we built the first MVP ourselves, and uh, using you know two no code platforms, we pieced things together the way we saw it should go. And, and we actually made the first sale without, it, well, barely none knowledge of coding. <laughs> what did you use in terms of no code platforms? Just curious. Uh, for the website, we used the Lithuanian platform Zyro. Okay. It's uh, like Webflow or like uh, Wix, I don't know, just to, to, to 
build the website yourself and for the survey uh that that's an important piece of our uh business uh we use typeform so simple i love it i love the simplicity there's yeah. so many ways you can test a business and get started without having to code anything which i think is phenomenal especially now and we actually had the founder of softer on our podcast which is another no code platform they raised their series a recently and just we built our backend platform for Vitalize actually on their platform as a no code solution. Yeah. And it's great. Like, I love that we have that ability now as well. And you said you got your first paying customer from that on that no code platform that, were, that you had used to build at least. How'd you get that first customer? Take me through the, the first paying customer you had. Take me through that. Yeah, well, we've actually now gotten uh, a handful of uh, our first paying <laughs> customers on that no code platform. Um, we did kind of rebuild it a little bit with our developer on Webflow. Um, yeah. But, you know, we are a B2C business. So friends and family are good early users for B2C businesses. Um, you know, Definitely. people on our network bought electric vehicles or know of friends and family that bought electric vehicles. So that's the way we got the very, very, very first uh, customers. Um, but since then, we've, you know, created a small following on a few social platforms and been advertising our service offering and a few kind of friends of friends of friends or friends of friends of family have uh, also signed up. And now we're establishing a channel through automotive dealerships. And we've gotten our first, uh, our first paying customers through car dealerships, which is super exciting because it's showing that, uh, you know, a channel works and can feed us leads and uh, can grow over time and kind of be a sustainable uh, model for that. Nice. Uh, one another here thing to add uh when we were doing a uh, uh, pitch for uh pre-seed uh the deck uh, building the deck uh we were thinking about the asks should we put number there should we put this or that so how should our asks should look like and then we had this brilliant idea you know we are trying to to, to raise money from investors uh that are affluent innovative people you know right they're they're the first movers in, into technologies yeah. Um, let's ask them if they want to pilot our solution. If they got an electric car or are they thinking about buying an electric car, yeah, why not, you know, uh, fill out the survey and see if we can, you know, uh, get you an estimate for EV charging installation. And actually one of the vitalized uh, angels uh, invested in us uh, uh, got a charger installed. That's right. Yeah. Nice. For, for nice. <laughs> yeah. After a pitch with Vital, I think he was like your third customer or something. That was awesome. It's amazing. You gotta, I mean, yeah, to get customers however you can, obviously. And you have the platform that did enough to get customers uh, based on what you're trying to offer from them as well. Take me through that side of things in terms of acquisition, because now you have, you say you're like B2C, but you also work with dealerships in this partnership capacity. What is like the business model behind this? Uh, so you have an understanding of like, how how does this company make money? Who pays for what? Just, just take me through some of that thing. Yeah, there are multiple uh, multiple stakeholders. <laughs> there's dealerships, there's electricians, there's consumers, and they all play a part in you know making homes EV ready. So, at the end of the day, the homeowner pays for a charger and an installation right. at their home, and they pay Electrium. From there, Electrium disperses funds to hardware company, an electrician who made the made the installation, um, and we keep profit for ourselves. Uh, when dealerships come into the equation, they feed us high volume of leads. And then we also, you know, if we convert a lead from that dealership, we also pay, you know, a conversion fee to them. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the homeowner is paying Lectrium and we are keeping some profit and dispersing the rest to people who helped us get that homeowner and get the job done. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. Another the founder to founder exercise. 
So, Peter, how can we make money and scale without hiring a bunch of really expensive uh, sales managers? That was the exercise. You know, <laughs> we did this workshop. <laughs> okay, let's you know uh, pick our brains. And uh, you know, if if uh, if you need to pay uh, huge salaries for salespeople, then you know the, the markup should be really high and uh, whatnot. Is it possible that somebody else has paid those salaries? <laughs> like we, we don't pay that. So that, yeah. that's a stupid question. But uh, yeah, we kind of figured it out that uh, every time uh, somebody sells an electric car, the EV charger is just an accessory and then charge installation is a service uh, to addition to that. So basically, the how to say, the, the person is committed to, to get a charger once uh, they buy a car. So we just need to be there. So actually, the salesman, uh, they are our, the, the salesman of a dealership is a salesman uh, of Lectium. Yeah. They sell Lectium. And uh, the, their salaries are being paid by dealerships. And we pay just the commission. <laughs> so, you know, if you look from that perspective, that workshop really worked well. Yeah, it's a smart way to go about it. But one thing I'm curious about, too, to that point. So you're working with dealerships, obviously, because that makes total sense with their salespeople and having this charging because they need it if they have an electric car. How do you then strategically think about which dealerships, how do you get a lot of them on board as quickly as possible? Can you can you handle that supply demand side of it on the back end? Just take me through some of that because those are always challenges in this type of uh, this type of setting. Yeah, so there's two approaches. There's bottom up and top down. Um, we are trying both. So uh, <laughs> the uh, top down approach is you either get a meeting with an OEM, which we have our first meeting with an OEM on Monday of next week. Uh, I won't nice. share who, but we're super excited. <laughs> um, and then the other top down approach is you meet with owners of dealerships. So dealerships are owned privately in many cases by wealthy people who have built uh, whole networks of them. So we can go top down in the way that, you know, we find someone who owns 50 dealerships and we get introdu introductions to their general managers or, or whatnot, and we try to sell into all of them. Uh, the other approach is bottoms up, which uh, when Ziggy was with me in Sarasota, Florida, uh, you know, a week ago, we did, which is we print out a thousand brochures and a few hundred business cards. We research on dealership websites who has the most EVs in stock. We find a car and we drive to each dealership shake people's hands, drop off our brochures and business cards, and uh, ask them if they want to help their customers have a better EV buying experience. So we're, we're trying both of these. Uh, both take a lot of energy and effort. Um, so that's kind of been our one of our big focuses for a few weeks, but um, we're learning a lot by doing it. I was going to say, I'm sure the learnings by going in person and talking to them and getting potentially rejected by them, if they're for whatever reason say no, you like get to ask them then, wait a minute, why wouldn't you like work with us? And like, you get obviously more feedback. Are you getting a lot of no's? Are most people saying yes? Save me through that. Cause I know founders are going to ask about this thinking about like, all right, well, like what's the, what's the hit rate? You know, you go into a dealership cold, are you closing one in five yep. of them, one in 10 of them? One in two of them, like I have no idea. Just take us through that experience. I can say, like the, the I think the, the most bizarre thing was that after a visit to a dealership, we got a, a message from a guy from salesman uh, asking for a hiring. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're like maybe <laughs> this is how we do it. Like <laughs> no, but uh, in terms of hit rate, that's pretty. That's pretty great. In terms of hit rate, um. It's weird. It's weird at dealerships. They're weird places a little bit. Um, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Each one is very unique. 
So some of, of the salespeople are like, oh yeah, like give me your business cards and your brochures. I'll hand them out to all my customers if you pay me. Yeah. And then they're like, you don't need to talk to the general manager. Like he'll just like do X, Y, and Z. Other places are like, you you talk to a sales guy um, and he immediately is like, I can't make a decision on this. You need to pitch my general manager or like our ownership group. And then we kind of go through that process. Um, so right now we have our brochures and business cards in the hands of probably 15 dealerships in Sarasota, Bradenton area. And uh, we have pitch meetings set up with, uh, you know, some of the ownership groups. Nice. How do you think about that in terms of growth? So you have a current point you're at now in terms of the product, in terms of like the feedback and like data you've collected by talking to people and getting an idea of what people want, what's needed, et cetera, building out this, this platform of sorts. How do you think about growth just in terms of, okay, so you went to like 15 dealerships in Sarasota. There are how many cities that have dealerships? You know what I mean? Like just thinking of that, yeah. it's like, wait a minute, like we can go anywhere and get dealerships, but obviously with the match demand, just tell me more about how you think about growth as a startup at this stage so that, you know, when we interview in five yeah. years and you're a multi-billion dollar company, you can just come back to this interview and be like, oh yeah, we were thinking about it that way. I'm curious as to how you think about that now. Yeah, so it's it's simple. You you test in uh, the market what works yeah. and what doesn't work. Then you repeat the success. Uh, and if uh, we repeat, if we can repeat the success and uh, we can show that traction to investors, we'll, we'll go to the next round. So that's yeah. that simple. Uh, if it works in Sarasota, we'll try it in, in another, you know, uh, similar town. And if it works there, you know, we're, we're going to build a case and then uh, scale it. Uh, we can actually, so, so there's the two, two sides. And uh, the second side is like with more installations, we can get more dealerships. And with more dealerships, we can uh, uh, go to the bigger networks of dealerships. And some of them, they're like these, uh, these corporations where there's, you know, uh, one general uh, kind of the, the, the headquarters that own like a network of 50, 100, and 200 dealerships. If you yeah. go to, the, to such, uh, you know, network your first day, they would say, how many dealerships you have? They would say, oh, <laughs> you are the first one. They would say, hey, come back when you have, you know, 10. Yeah. So, so yep. I think we, we're, we're doing that. I love it. I love it. I love it. There's so many ways I guess you could grow uh, from that. But to your point, testing this out, see if it works and get validation, be able to kind of repeat that system makes a ton of sense. Uh, in terms of that, one thing I'm curious about with just thinking about your business, you have like the US mandating certain amount of like EV charging, for instance, EV charging stations, uh, really want to go electric in terms of the United States. With that comes like a double-sided coin almost. It's like the competition because you know that's going to be coming, but also this massive growing opportunity because you know it's going to be coming or this mandate is taking place. Just how do you think about that? Uh, how does that impact you guys? Uh, I'm just curious about how you even think about it. Yeah, it's important to note um, a lot of the headlines and a lot of the promises are about public charging. Uh, the chargers that you know anyone can drive up to. And yeah. what we're focused on is mostly residential charging uh, in someone's single family home. So we're actually surprised, Lectrium, me and Ziggy uh, and our team, we're surprised that uh, public charging gets so much more press than uh, residential charging. Uh, so, you know, there are ways that those headlines and budgets influence residential charging, like the subsidies for the EVs and some subsidies for installation costs and stuff like that could end up being, you know, great yeah. for our growth. But um, a lot of the money that is being poured in right now, at least from what we understand, is uh, going to public charging. If anybody knows of it going to residential, uh, <laughs> send us an email or uh, or note. There's definitely yeah. some, but uh, yeah. 
and you said you obviously said most of the charging it takes place at home. I imagine people overnight they charge their cars and everything like that. If there is more of a public charging aspect of it, do you think that changes your side of it at all? Just in terms of people, I mean, there's going to be more EVs overall. We know that's going to happen, right? But then are more people going to just charge publicly whenever, or like they're going to buy the in in home? Just just take me through more of that. And Ziggy, I know you're gearing up to talk, so go for it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I was preparing for this. No I'm kidding, but. Uh... <laughs> I've, I've been saying it uh, in a few occasions that you cannot solve a new world problems with old world solutions. And uh, the, these networks of public charging, uh, they're trying to, in some way, repeat the networks of gas stations. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? You are you know, commuting from point A to point B, and then you have to make a detour for like five or 10 miles to get to a special place where your car needs to stop and then you go to a, a, a store, a shop to, to get a cup of coffee and then, you know, something, something like that. If, if, you, if you think, you know, uh, a little bit from a distance, it might not make sense. But like your car, you can get electricity at every point, point A and point B. I don't have a gas station at my home and I do not have a gas station at work, but I have a charger at my home and there's a charger at my work. So with uh, with home charging, I will never need to use a public charging. And yeah. if you look into these, the most developed uh, uh, markets such as Norway, Netherlands, uh, Sweden, in Europe, you know, the most of the charging happens at home. Yeah. Or at work. They're, yeah. They're also uh, a little bit smaller countries, though. So if you're, doing, uh, of course, if, yes. if you're doing, if you're doing road trips to the U S it's a bit different. Yeah. I don't know how much, I don't know exactly, yeah, exactly how much of a use case that is, but obviously it's something to think about. A yeah. Very quick answer here is that, uh, uh, <laughs> electric vehicle range is increasing every, you know, year. The, but the, we need to be also, you know, honest to ourselves. Electric cars are not for everyone right now. And there's millions of Americans that electric vehicles are not ready for them. Their range is too short and then the, the charging speeds are too slow. But for another, you know, 20 million uh, Americans, electric vehicles is going to be the next car in the next seven years. And that's a fact. Yeah, yeah. that's undoubtedly going that direction, <laughs> as you can see yeah. by every major automaker trying to think about this in some capacity, it seems like as well. Uh, how much of that is you go into the dealerships because those are selling the cars, but then you have some like Tesla that has their own in-house things as well. And they're charging, obviously have their own kind of thing with everything. Are you looking at partnering? I guess you don't have to necessarily partner with the, the, the auto manufacturers directly because you go, they all go through dealerships for the most part, or, or is that something you even think about that you have to think about at all as they're creating electric vehicles? It, it would be nice to partner with these OEMs um, from the top level on their yeah. website where, you know, consumers can pre-order electric vehicles and put down their first deposit. That would be really, really nice. And, uh, something we would love to do uh and something we hopefully will do uh you know when we have those conversations with oems they're going to ask us for our case studies on the installations we've made and how we handled them so right now we're building the case to do that yeah no that makes sense and with that too so just one of the last pieces on that with getting actually the installers on the platform matched up and make sure you're having enough always how has that gone that side of things because obviously if you can get People who have these cars, like they need to get them installed. Someone has to install them. Just take us through that side and how you look at that. Yeah, we have an awesome advisor um, who built a solar installation company. Uh, and he gave us really, really nice advice on this exact point. If you get a lead anywhere, close it. You'll find an installer. You know, people want to make money. 
you can find someone to, to make the installation. So, you know, if we get a lead in uh, anyone's home who's listening anywhere in the country, <laughs> we will fulfill it and do it right. And we have a process that we follow and, you know, procedures and uh, guidelines that the installers need, need to meet. But uh, I think Ziggy wants to jump in here too. Yeah, go ahead. So I, I think another important aspect here, talking about electricians, is uh, uh, is why we are here on this podcast, and uh, especially you know because of white lights and how lectium and white lights are together. White lights is the future of work, right? And uh, for us, we very early in in our business development stage, we realized that we can actually be competitive only if we we put uh, electrician in the center of this equation. Our success uh, actually depends on uh, uh, the, the electrician's service that we you know, help people to find. So we are thinking uh, and building the platform to, to make their life better. You know, we already make their lives better because we take away the unnecessary site visiting, which uh, also sometimes leads to biased uh, pricing and all the other issues. And uh, so by creating electricians, uh, uh, you know, a better, better life for electricians, uh, we are going to be successful. And some, some people ask, so, hey, you know, what if I call my electrician? Uh, our answer is always, uh, you know, sooner or later, that electrician will say, of course, I can install you a charger. But could you please order it through Lectrum platform? Because that makes my life easier. So I think we're heading that direction. I love it. And as Lectrium has grown here, you started off in Antler. That's where it originally began. Obviously, you got investors uh, since then as well. You've also done like pitch competitions. Just think, just take me through some of the other ways you've kind of gotten your name out there, ways to kind of do the marketing and uh, all of that side of things. Obviously, you're on this podcast now, which is helpful. Uh, but just think, take me through other things you've, you've kind of done to kind of grow the, the name that is Lectrium. Definitely. So we're lucky to be in two awesome co-working facilities. Uh in both Vilnius and in Manhattan. In uh, Manhattan, we're in the Columbia Startup Lab. And uh, Columbia University hosts a bunch of awesome challenges for founders from our school each year. Uh, we registered for the Columbia Climate Challenge, sponsored by Block Power and Donnell Baird. They've done incredible work, um, and we're huge fans of Block Power. And we, ac we actually won the Columbia Climate Challenge, which gave us some soft funding, some grant money, uh, and also advanced us to the next round of the Columbia University Challenge, um, in which we competed against the winners of each kind of targeted Columbia University Challenge. Nice. And then we won, we won like the term, Tournament of Champions as well. So um, we're very honored this year to have competed against these companies. We sit next to them in Columbia Startup Lab uh, often. And, you know, big shout out to Daniela, who runs the lab. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're lucky to do that. And we also do the same thing in Vilnius, which I'll let Ziggy touch on too. Yeah, so so one thing what we did, we organized a startup shower. You know, baby showers. Yeah. So uh, I did a startup shower. Uh, Peter uh, came to visit our Lithuanian office, and we used that opportunity to invite our friends. Uh, instead of meeting twenty people on twenty different occasions and telling the same thing, uh, so first of all we started with friends. Then we invited uh, all the other EV startup uh, and ecosystem player in Lithuania. For them to hear what we're building, so you know, for them to for them to know what is happening here, and like we are here to you know collaborate instead of you know compete or whatever. Then we invited you know uh, these the biggest startups, the the unicorns uh, that are in Lithuania and their representatives 
some developers and our founding engineer, Arnas, uh, he uh, got, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 uh, developers to come. And then, you know, those guys, they, they come there and they say, oh my God, that's my boss here. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so we had investors. We even had a member of the parliament in that event. And uh, uh, so, so that was a really cool event. And uh, that was one of the, and then, you know, uh, I spoke in a few conferences and then all of those networkings and everything. So, and and then Rocket, uh, the co-working space in Vilnius are helping us as well. So, so yeah, and, and if you're visiting Vilnius, uh, well, sh- shoot me a LinkedIn message. We will set you a, a working space in Rocket and then and show you around. One of the last things I'm curious about, because you just mentioned that too, you're in different locations, both of you. Remote work is very prominent now. This last two years obviously catapulted this. Just take me through how you two and your team like work together, uh, how you manage this remote work situation. I'm just curious about that too. Yeah, so uh, in the US, we wake up early and we start our days super early. And in Lithuania, the team stays up a bit late. Um, <laughs> and then first thing in the morning in the US, uh, we have a check-in call. It's our daily, daily stand-up every single day. Um, where we just update each other from kind of the time not spent together. Uh, so we're all on the same page at the beginning of the day in the U.S. and, um, you know, early afternoon in Lithuania. Then we work together for five or six hours really, really hard. And then um, obviously the whole day can't be spent in meetings. So we get <laughs> we go to our tasks uh, during the time meetings aren't being held. Um, also, we've made a ton of effort to visit each other. Um, Ziggy's been to the U.S. to visit me three times now. Uh, he's, uh, you know, recently spoke at Lithuanian American business conference, a business forum in, in Philadelphia. So, you know, not only are we doing remote work, but Ziggy's also strengthening the ties between, you know, the American, uh, government and Lithuanian government. Love uh, it. <laughs> Love it. And then, uh, you know, I, I've been to Lithuania to Vilnius for a three week trip and then, um, I'm going back in about a month. Love it. Yeah. I think that cadence seems to work out, especially as we talked, we talked to other teams as well and the different founders I've talked to, it's like they try to do something in person. It seems like every quarter as kind of a general thing for their startup. And obviously it's not one size fits all in any capacity, but having talked to a number of like unicorn startups that are remote now, and they're thinking about it from the beginning, it's like, oh, I think that kind of works, but every team size matters. Everything situation is different clearly uh, with that as well. And one of the last things I'm curious about just so we can like listen to this years later. If if you get to where you want to get to, and let's just say five years, what do you need to execute on in the next few years to get to that point where you really are, I guess, taking over the market, leading the market, et cetera? Because obviously this market is growing massively. You have found an opportunity within what you're doing in, this, in terms of EV charging. Uh, but what do you have to do in the next few years to succeed in that? Um, yeah, I can take this. Uh, if we are you know, looking into this whole industry and all the stakeholders that are related to anything around electric vehicles and then and, and home charging and, and, and your home. Um, the, the first thing and our mission is to make every American uh, home EV ready. So that's first first thing. Those homes are not ready. And those homes are not only ready, not only not ready for electric vehicle, but for uh, smart home management and uh, all of those, you know, technologies that can actually help people. Electric vehicles, they they're much uh, more sustainable solution uh, to, to commute from point A to B than the internal combustion engine cars. And then uh, using your electricity in a smart way and then in your car, 
uh, will train you a habit and hopefully it'll train you a habit to, to be more sustainable at your home. Okay, the, the, the one thing is to drive electric cars, right? Second thing is to, to, uh, to think of how you use electricity at home. So for us, you know, electric charger in the way is just an instrument to connect those home and then uh, help people to use electricity in a smarter way. And instead of, uh, you know, spending more, 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 uh, we can actually help them to save on it. And think of electric car is just the battery. Uh, that's a the, the, the lot of power in the battery that moves from point A to B. You can go, go to work, charge your car from the solar roof, come back home, turn on TV, and uh, watch the TV from the electricity that you have just brought home. That's the future. I love it. <laughs> Where's the best place for people to learn more about Lectrium and also connect with you if they like to for whatever reason and want to join the company, want to partner with you? What's the best way to do that? Probably reaching out on LinkedIn to me or Ziggy. Uh, you can find Gigamantis Zabieta or Peter Barba on LinkedIn or just Lectrium <laughs> and you can see our employees. You know, you can also... You know, if you want to make your home EV ready, go to electrium.io. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter. We're um, trying to be as present as possible. I will be sure to link all of that up as well, vitalizedpodcast.com. Uh, we'll have those links as well, and we'll promote this out, obviously, to everything so people will know those links, where to find you, where to learn more about you. But thank you so much, Peter and Ziggy, for the time. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Justin. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at VitalizeVC, or you can follow me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.